We're gonna open up the word of God. We're continuing in a series in the book of Acts and we're at a very critical moment here. They're all critical, but this one, we see the church leaders come together to really clarify what's core, what is central to our faith, to the church. And we find that in Acts chapter 15. I'm gonna read the first 21 verses there. And we're gonna look at, at the decision that was handed down by the council of church leaders. Fantastic passage. Why don't we stand together and I'm gonna read the passage from Acts 15, 1 through 21. But some men came down from Judea and were teaching the brothers and sisters, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. And after Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and debate with them, Paul and Barnabas and some of the others were appointed to go up to Jerusalem to the apostles and to the elders about this question. So before being sent on their way, they passed through both Phoenicia and Samaria, describing in detail the conversion of the Gentiles and brought great joy to all the brothers and sisters. When they came to Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church and the apostles and the elders, and they declared all that God had done with them. But some believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees rose up and said, it is necessary to circumcise them and order them to keep the law of Moses. The apostles and the elders were gathered together to consider this matter, and after there had been much debate, Peter stood up and said to them, brothers, Sisters, you know that in the early days God made a choice among you, that by my mouth the Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel and believe. And God, who knows the heart, bore witness to them by giving them the Holy Spirit just as he did to us. And he made no distinction between us and them, having cleansed their hearts by faith. Now, therefore, why are you putting God to the test by placing a yoke on the neck of the disciples that neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear? But we believe that we will be saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, just as they will. And all the assembly fell silent as they, and they listened to Barnabas and Paul as they related what signs and wonders God had done through them among the Gentiles. After they finished speaking, James replied, brothers, sisters, listen to me. Simeon has related how God first visited the Gentiles to make them, to take from them a people for his name. And with this, the words of the prophets agree, just as it is written, after this I will return and I will rebuild the tent of David that has fallen. I will rebuild its ruins and I will restore it that the remnant of mankind may seek the Lord and all the Gentiles who are called by my name, says the Lord, who makes these things known from old. Therefore, it is my judgment that we should not trouble those of the Gentiles who turn to God, but write to them to abstain from the things polluted by idols, from sexual immorality, from what has been strangled and from blood, for from ancient generations, Moses has had in every city those who proclaim him, for he has read every Sabbath in the synagogues. The reading of God's word. You can have a seat. Thank you. So this past week on one of my favorite TV shows, Murdoch Mysteries, uh, I, I love the whodunit kind of stuff, and it's CBC, I know, but whatever. I love Murdoch Mysteries. 
It's a show about uh, policing in Toronto in the late 1800s. One of the constables at Station House 4 of the Toronto Constabulary put on a pumpkin carving contest for his co-workers and their families. And Inspector Brackenreed, who's in charge of the station, and a devout Catholic, I might add, said to his constable, why are you into that pagan stuff anyway? Remember, <laughs> pumpkin carving, late 1800s, all right? To which this constable replied, I've always liked the pagans. They're less pious than the Christians. Ooh. Right at the time I'm reading Acts 15, pious, devoutly religious, rule-bound, legalistic. If, if, if you didn't hear the word or sense the word legalism, if it didn't pop into your mind when I read our passage, maybe you were distracted by something because it's all over this passage, legalism and the grace of God. If you've ever been accused of being legalistic, I don't know if you have, it's probably been in the context of being narrow-minded, uh, judgmental, or rigid. And you know what? While those things usually accompany legalism, they don't exactly define what legalism is. You see, sometimes being rigid or being narrow-minded is a good thing. If, if I'm the safety manager for a company and I'm rigid or narrow-minded on rules that keep people safe while treating people with respect, I think that's a good thing. If I, as your pastor, am rigid or narrow-minded on upholding the authority of Scripture, of God's Word, and keeping the gospel the gospel while maintaining good relationships with my people with my flock, that's not being legalistic, that's being faithful. So legalism basically involves this. Here's a sh very short definition. Extracting the law of God from its original context. That's legalism. Extracting what God said we should do, not do, his commands, his rules, abstracting that, extracting that from its original context. Context is so important. We're going to talk about grace and law and commandment and see what this context exactly is. So I read a fantastic article this week on legalism. It was very short. It was, a, it was a, an excerpt from a book, I do believe, that R.C. Sproul wrote. And he talks about three forms of legalism, and I think we find them all in this passage. The first is this. It is law over grace. This is when we keep the law of God itself as an end in itself. The law of God as an end in itself. We, we, make, we elevate the law as being more important than the grace of God. And that's where we go. Listen, I want to say this from the outset. The laws of God, the commands that he gave us to follow, are important. They're vitally important. Our world would be chaos without law. <laughs> But if grace doesn't even enter the picture, let alone come first, that's a problem. So the rules that God gave us, as upheld by Jesus especially, and the New Testament, are extremely important to our faith. But grace must trump law, because law, listen carefully, law was given after covenant, and law was given after grace. And I'm going to show you this in Scripture. Law substantiates grace. It is not above grace. 
all right? Circumcision, first given to Adam, was a sign of a covenant that he gave to Adam. It was not the covenant. It was a sign of what he said to Adam that he would do in him and through him to bless all peoples on the earth and create a a, a people for himself. The Ten Commandments given to Moses uh, and circumcision, which was reaffirmed to Moses, so the custom of Moses, because by that time, people had kind of forgotten this covenant, and God reaffirmed it and said to Moses, you better get on track with this. So he, but he gave him also the Ten Commandments. Those things were given, listen, after God's gracious redemption, when he liberated his people, when he set his people free and redeemed them from the yoke and bondage of slavery in Egypt. Covenant and grace come before law, always. Law was meant to show us just how much we need God's grace and to show us why grace is necessary. It is grace that saves us, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the grace of God in Jesus. The law helps us to see our need of that grace. And after salvation, after we are saved by his grace, law, us keeping the covenant, the commands of God, his rules, point others to their need of his grace too. So verse one. Let's go back to the beginning. But some men came down from Judea and were teaching the brothers and sisters, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. That's legalism. That's legalism. It's simply following a rule. R.C. Sproul went on to say this. Some people seem to be preoccupied in the Christian life with obeying rules and regulations, And they conceive of Christianity as being a series of do's and don'ts, cold and deadly set of moral principles. I had a professor in graduate school, he said, who who said, the essence of Christian theology is grace, and the essence of Christian ethics is gratitude. (laughs) That is so profound. The The essence of Christian theology is grace, and the essence of Christian ethics is gratitude. The legalist isolates the law from the God who gave the law. He is not so much seeking to obey God or honor Christ as he is to obey rules that are devoid of any personal relationship. There's no love, no joy, no life, no passion. It's a rote, mechanical form of law-keeping that we call externalism. The legalist focuses on on obeying bare rules, destroying the broader context of God's love and redemption in which he gave his law in the first place. Verse 11. But we believe that we will be saved through grace the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, just as they will. Um, In a moment, uh, verses 11 through 14 of Colossians chapter two are gonna be on the screen, but I wanna start reading in Colossians two from verse eight. Paul said to the church, see to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world and not according to Christ. For in him... For in Christ, the whole fullness of deity deity dwells bodily. 
And you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. In him, here, catch this. In him, Christ, you were also circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. And you who were dead in your trespasses and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. And when we celebrate and remember what Christ did at that cross in a few moments, we need to remember that we were circumcised not in the flesh but through Christ and we have come to faith in him and we are saved by his grace and his grace alone. Do you trust in the finished work of Christ, period, or are you tempted to add to it? In other words, is Jesus enough or is it Jesus plus? Jesus plus or Jesus enough? <laughs> so when I was newly married, when we were newly married, I wanted to be helpful. And uh, I still try to be helpful. Sometimes it doesn't go over very well. <laughs> but I wanted to be helpful when we were newly married. And I think we were only a few weeks into it, got back from our honeymoon. And I, I, even, I wanted, wanted to even go beyond being helpful. I wanted to impress, right? And so I made a pot of chili. You remember this? Oh yeah, she's nodding her head already. I made a pot of chili. I've come a long way in 31 years. I've come a long way, all right? See, I grew up with a mom who was a wonderful cook, but the problem, I, I learned a lot from her, but I didn't do enough cooking of my own. So here, I wanted, you know, I, I made this pot of chili. What's wrong with that, you say? It's wonderful. You see, thinking it was a good idea and a healthy one too, I, I put a whole bunch of broccoli in the chili and um, I just let it simmer like you're supposed to let a good chili do, thinking, well, oh, this should be okay. Okay, let me tell you something. Broccoli is not meant to go in chili. <laughs> it's, it's, in fact, it's blasphemy to good chili. When that broccoli cooks down and it gets mushy and it changes different colors of green and there's this horrible texture in your mouth and this horrible smell that comes out of there that never intended to be in chili, probably gave us some pretty bad gas too. I can't remember. It did me for sure. I know that. You see, chili plus is not good. It's not good. I, I, I quickly learned that with most recipes, and I'm a foodie, I love to cook too, with most recipes, simple and pure is best. It's what you pay the most for in a good restaurant. Is Jesus enough or is it Jesus plus? Do you always want to keep adding to Jesus what he's done? From my devotions the other day, uh, Hebrews 1, Nikki Gumbel said this, Jesus is unique and he is all you need. As Eugene Peterson points out from Hebrews 1, you do not need Jesus and angels. You do not need Jesus and Moses. You do not need Jesus and priesthood. This letter, Hebrews, deletes the hyphens and the add-ons. All you need is Jesus. 
second form of legalism. We gotta move on. Getting all ramped up now. Letter over spirit. The letter of the law over the spirit of the law and, might I add, the letter of the law over the spirit of God. Verse 10. Now therefore, why are you putting God to the test by placing a yoke on the neck of the disciples that neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear? Oh my goodness. When we make things about the letter of the law, it kills. The, The letter kills, but the spirit gives life. And you see, circumcision was just one of many ways in which the Jews, the Pharisees and scribes in particular, not only elevated the law above grace, but totally missed the intent and the spirit of the law, and they put people into bondage. Galatians 5, verse 1, uh, this issue of circumcision in the English Standard Version that we use called the circumcision party. Um, (laughs) Cody said to me, no, don't go there, don't go there. I'm going to go there. Cody said, that's not a party I think I want to go to. (laughs) But uh, these people are like the circumcision party, right? Paul called them that. It's all they talked about. And in Galatians, he said, and and I'm going to refer to Titus later too, he's mentoring young pastors and telling them how to handle these people, right? He goes to Galatians and he says, for freedom, Christ has set us free. Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Don't do it. This is a hard issue. It's always been a hard issue. So back in Deuteronomy, Uh, Chapter 10, verses 12 through 16. Um, I'm going to set a little bit of context here. So God gave Moses the law, right? Uh, Where are the Ten Commandments? Is that in Exodus? (laughs) Yeah, okay. Uh, And um, so he's up on the mountain for a long time. God's talking to him, gives him these stone tablets, his his rules, his commands. And, And Moses comes down off the mountain. And the people are doing everything that God didn't want him to do. Like they're just having, they're going crazy. And Moses got so upset, right? He just, he takes these stones and he just breaks them. And so up at it again, God says, okay, we got to do this a second time. And he gave him a new set of tablets that he had to rewrite all over again. And, uh, and so that's where we pick it up in Deuteronomy. Okay, verse 12. And now Israel, what does the Lord your God require of you but to fear the Lord your God, to walk in all his ways, to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and to keep the commandments and statutes of the Lord which I am commanding you today for your good. Behold, to the Lord your God belong heaven and the heavens of heavens, the earth with all that is in it. Yet the Lord set his heart, listen, Yet the Lord set his heart in love on your fathers and chose their offspring after them. You above all peoples as you share this day. Now listen to this. Circumcise therefore the foreskin of your heart and be no longer stubborn. It's a heart issue. It's always been a heart issue for God. He wants our heart. He doesn't want us to follow a set of meaningless rules. Romans chapter two, verses eight and nine, it'll be on the screen. For no one is a Jew who is merely one outwardly, nor is circumcision outward and physical, but a Jew, a Jew meaning the people of God, 
is one inwardly, and circumcision is a matter of the heart by the spirit, not the letter. His praise is not from man, but from God. Listen, God wants our hearts. Anything that stems from the flesh, our own striving, our own doing, is gonna put us into bondage and a yoke that we were never meant to bear. This is why the apostle Paul was adamant when he wrote to Timothy, Titus rather, in in chapter one, as a young pastor, uh, that he said to him right off the right out of the gate that those of the circumcision party must be silenced you have to shut them down shut them down hard because they're putting a yoke on people and so Jesus in Matthew 11 said come to me all you who are weary and burdened and i will give you rest take my yoke upon you my yoke And learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Do you find yourself striving to be good, to do good, to look good? It's a yoke. Come to Jesus. The third type of um, legalism is tradition over law. Now, this is taking it to another level. And adding to the commandments of, that God gave, adding rules and additional laws that don't belong there, and at the same time making them just as important as Scripture. Wow. So in Mark 7, it says, and, when, and the Pharisees and the scribes asked him, Jesus, why do your disciples not live according to the tradition of the elders, but eat with hands defiled? Tradition. And he said to them, well did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites, as it is written, this people honors me with their lips, but their heart, again the heart, is far from me. In vain do they worship me and teach as doctrines the precepts of men. When somebody gives you a precept and it comes from a person, head for the hills. Run from that stuff. You leave the commandment of God and hold fast the tradition of men. And he said to them, you have a fine way of rejecting the commandment of God in order to keep your tradition. Now, that's tame compared to what Jesus said in Matthew 23. In Matthew 23, we have the seven woes to the scribes and the Pharisees. Woe are you who do this and 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 put all of these burdens and bondages on people that they can't bear. I mean, for crying out loud, our fathers in the desert couldn't bear it. We can't bear it either. Nobody can be right with God by doing all of these things. And then Jesus, it culminates in verse 15 in Matthew 23, and he said, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you travel across sea and land to make a single proselyte. And when he becomes a proselyte, you make him twice as much a child of hell as yourselves. Woo! That's where rules and legalism ends up, friends. That's where it gets you. It gets you straight to hell. The grace of God gets us to heaven. The grace of God. Oh, but for the grace of God, there go I. And in verse 19 and 20 of our text today, we have a really good example of the church leaders not engaging in this type of legalism. Why on earth would they tell people that our salvation is from the grace of God and not to follow the rule and the commands and the 
custom of Moses, and then at the end of the chapter, give them some things to do. I mean, isn't that kind of like counterproductive? Isn't it like, I thought you just told them you're not supposed to do follow rules, and now you're giving them this. We're going to come back to that. But the behaviors that these new Christians were asked to abstain from and engage in were not only biblical, but they were meant to not trouble them. It says, we don't want to trouble you and put a burden on you. And they would serve as a sign that their lives had in fact changed and that they had received the grace of God. My life is different and I want everybody else to know about it. I'm going to flee these things and not do these things so that the grace of God might show through my life. Okay, how do we apply this? Let's get a little bit practical here as we wrap up our time. Dane Ortland, it was the quote of the week. If you follow us on social media at Central, this quote was, um, was part, of, part of that all week. Dane Ortland said, do you want to grow in Christ? Never graduate beyond the gospel. Move ever deeper into the gospel. And so... How do we stay gospel-focused? How do we go ever deeper into the gospel so that we can live a grace-filled life? I want to give you some ways we do that, and they're all found in the text. Number one, share evidence of God's grace often. I just, I love this passage because when Paul and Barnabas were first confronted with people who came down from Judea to say, no, 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 you have to be circumcised, they said, well, look at all these lives that have been changed. And then as they made their way to Jerusalem to this council to finally figure out what was going on, they stopped at different places and they say, look at the lives that were changed. Look at what God is doing. When they got to the council in Jerusalem, they gave testimony of changed lives. It was the primary way that they refuted false teaching that circumcision saves, that Jesus plus saves by sharing stories of changed lives that didn't involve legalism. Lives that changed by the grace of God and the indwelling spirit alone. They did it over and over. And listen, our stories are so powerful. The greatest evidence of God's grace in our lives is a changed life because it can't be argued. I love, this happened many times with Jesus, but the, you know, the man who was born blind, Jesus healed him. Just like he healed someone else on the Sabbath and he was nailed for that one too because he was working. Jesus said, no, I've come that people might be healed. But this guy who was born blind that Jesus healed afterwards, when he was questioned about it by the legalists, he says, well, I don't know. He goes, one thing I know, I was blind, and now I see. (laughs) You can't argue with that. A changed life you can't argue about. Nobody wants to talk about circumcision, right? Right? I mean, it's not a topic that you just want to go <laughs> coffee shop and, hey, I want to just have a little chat about <laughs> circumcision this morning. But we will talk all day long about the miracle of a changed life, right? I will. Philemon, Paul, Paul wrote to Philemon, and he said, and I pray that as you share your faith with others, it will grip their lives too as they see the wealth of good things in you that come from Christ Jesus. You see, actively sharing our faith in, a, in other translations says that it helps us grow as we receive a full understanding of what Christ has done for us and every good that we have in Jesus. And it brings others to faith too. 
Second way we can um, focus on the gospel and, and live a, a grace-filled uh, life is by engaging actually in healthy debate. Um, it says that they, there was no small dissension as they debated. <laughs> and then later at the council, it says they, they, they engaged in some pretty active de- debate. I never thought the concept of good and council meeting could ever go together. <laughs> Particularly in a meeting that was marked by dissension and sharp debate, but here we have it. I mean, have you ever had a, been part of a strata council? Like, have you ever been on one of those? <laughs> I'm in my third one. It's going really well. Okay, we're gonna try and keep it that way. <laughs> it's hard though. Really sad when um, council meetings and churches go really sideways over the wrong issues. It, it's okay to debate, defend, clarify the gospel. Sometimes dissension is okay over the right issues. It's not okay over the volume of my microphone right now. It's not okay to dissent over whether the pastor wears the wrong clothes or the wrong color clothes. Trust me, guys, I'm talking out of experience. Like. I've heard all of this stuff. It's not okay to dissent over the color of the carpet or whether we do communion at the beginning of the service or at the end of the service. It's not okay. Those are not reasons to dissent. That's legalism. And it has no place in the church. Am I passionate about this or am I? Number three, we need to identify the work of the Spirit. And when the Spirit of God is part of our lives, we're not gonna dissent over the wrong things. Verses eight and nine, and God who knows the heart bore witness to them, giving them the Holy Spirit just as he did to us and he made no distinction between us and them having cleansed their hearts by faith. Again, it's a heart issue. Back in the Old Testament to Ezekiel, God said, I will give you a new heart. I will put a new spirit within you. I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules with a soft heart, with the spirit of God. Number four, we need to substantiate everything with scripture. I love in verses 15 to 18 of this text that they confirmed God's grace to the Gentiles and the receipt of the Holy Spirit through Old Testament prophecy. They went back to their Bible and said, look, this is the way it's supposed to be. They substantiate it with scripture. Opinion, friends, opinion does not matter. But God's word matters. Timothy, Paul wrote, as far as you, continue in what you have learned and become convinced of because you know from those whom you learned it from and how from infancy you have known the holy scriptures which are able to make you wise for salvation not through rule following, which are able to make you wise for salvation in Christ Jesus. Number five, we're gonna end up with this. And it may seem weird, but it's gonna make sense. Do good works. Do good works. Say what? I thought we were supposed to avoid good works and focus on grace. No. We're supposed to avoid legalism and substantiate grace with works. See the difference? 
We avoid legalism, not works. We avoid legalism and substantiate grace with works. Ephesians makes this really clear. Chapter two, for by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Pastor Jeremy said it last week when he talked about persevering. He said, perseverance doesn't save us. <laughs> Jesus saves us. It's still good to persevere, though, because it leads others to Christ and results in salvation. And that's true of any work. Work reveals God's grace to others as evidenced in our lives. Probably my favorite passage that I looked at as I was preparing is going to be on the screen now, Titus chapter 3. I love this. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us. Not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. The saying is trustworthy, and I want to insist on these things so that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. These things are excellent and profitable for people. Friends, I encourage you do good works. Cut firewood so that people can have heat this summer. Got a message through our help in time of need. If you've never signed up for this thing, to be a helper, to help those in need, you can go to our website and you can click, you can go two ways on the help in time of need. You can say, I need help. And the church uh, helps practically those in, in our congregation and in the community. Or you can say, I want to help. And just yesterday, a notice was sent out by one of our members, a ministry partners in Lake Arock, who said there's a guy out there living in his tent. Could you imagine living in a tent that has holes in it with the rains we had last week? It's where he lives year-round. And, and going out into the community, uh, he was discovered by this ministry partner and he put out a call. Does somebody have a tent? Can somebody buy a tent? Does somebody have a tarp so we can strap it up over his tent? It doesn't get much more basic than that, friends. Sign up for our help in time of need and become a helper. And when, and when people have a practical need like a tent, you can step up. I know of people who've invested hundreds and hundreds of dollars to help others in the past two years. Thousands of dollars as a church to bring people groceries, to mow their lawns, to run errands. It is a beautiful thing. Pastor Ron is nodding his head. He and I had the privilege of doing this for the first year through this pandemic. We were, we were managing all of this stuff. And I tell you, we would, a need would come in that people would submit, whether from our church or in the community, it didn't matter. We, we open it up to whoever has a need, go to our website, click on there. And, uh, and we'd get the need and we'd put it out to our help teams all over the place. <clears throat> and sometimes within seconds, 15 seconds, 30 seconds, we'd be getting emails back and we'd have, to eliminate, we'd have to eliminate people because we had too many helpers. 
That, that makes my heart sing. Because number one, I'm not doing it all. I shouldn't. I should be equipping you to do it. It gives you so much joy. It meets so many needs. And it gives evidence to the greatest work of all, the work of Jesus. And it opens doors for us to talk about his grace. Amen? I'm not at all passionate about this. I'm sorry, but... You know, the, in our society, the, two, the term do-gooder has become pejorative. It's used as an insult. But it should not be this way. Scripture says that Jesus went around doing good, and so our good works need to be based on what Jesus did. John Wesley said, do all the good you can, by all the means you can, in all the ways you can, in all the places you can, at all the times you can, to all the people you can, as long as you ever can. a lot of cans in there. And you know, as much as our culture dislikes the idea of holiness and good works, when people see a holy life, they are captivated by it. And it leaves them more alive than when you found them. And every time you do a good work for which you were created, it ought to remind you and point others to the one who did the greatest work of all, Jesus. It is he it is his work that we remember this morning as we prepare to take communion. And as you take communion this morning with me, reflect on the needs around you and use those needs as an open door to share the incredible grace of God in your life. When we, I want to share one more quote with you, Dwayne Ortland, again. It is the most counterintuitive aspect of Christianity that we are declared right with God. Not once we begin to get our act together, but once we collapse into honest acknowledgement that we never will. And when we acknowledge that, we live in grace. And when we live in grace, a watching world looks at us and says, I wish I had that. Not a perfect life, but a life that is marked by the grace of God in Jesus. I wish I had that rather than I've always liked the pagans because they're less pious than the Christians. So take a moment, close your eyes, and, and reflect on a few questions this morning. <clears throat> reflect on that, but reflect on a few questions as we prepare to receive these symbols, these elements, which point to the grace of God in Jesus and what, what he did for us. I'm gonna ask a series of questions and just um, take time as you eat and drink to, to think about these things. Do I place a higher value on church customs than on biblical principles? Do I elevate to the status of moral law something the Bible does not require? Am I uncomfortable that the Bible does not explicitly address every ethical issue or answer every theological question? Do I tend to look down my spiritual nose at those who do not follow God's will for my life? Do I hold others to a different standard than I hold myself to?
Do I think that I'm okay compared to others? Do I judge before listening? Do I feel the need to point out someone's sins publicly? Does taking someone down a notch make me feel better? Am I more comfortable with rules than with relationships? Do I have a broken relationship with someone that might need to be restored if I were to truly live by grace? And so just before he went to the cross to pay the highest price for our sin and give us his unmerited favor, that which we did not deserve, complete absolution, propitiation of our sins where he took our place and, and bore the wrath of God, a holy God who demands justice Before he did all of that, Jesus gathered his followers together, his disciples, just like we're gathered today. And it says as they were eating, Jesus took bread and after blessing it, he broke it and he gave it to his disciples and said, take and eat, this is my body peel back that top layer, the cellophane, and take out the wafer there, which symbolizes the living bread, Jesus' broken body for us. And we say, thank you, God, that you suffered in our place. You are our substitute. And you loved us so much that even while we were we were your enemies, you did, so, you did the unthinkable. Where you didn't need to, where we should have, you were punished and you were broken. And we say thank you, Lord, for your, for your amazing grace in Jesus. Let's partake together. he took the cup and when he had given thanks he said to them drink of it all of you for this is my blood of the covenant which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins I tell you I will not drink it again drink again of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it anew with you in my Father's kingdom. Jesus, how can we ever, ever say thank you enough for the depths of your mercy and your grace? You gave it all. Help us to know what it means to give even just a little in return as a way of saying thank you for pouring out your very life that we might be forgiven. 
Lord, your forgiveness is so amazing. And it's free, but not free for you. You paid the highest price. You gave it all. And we do not take that for granted, Lord Jesus, but we worship you. We honor you with our lives. Thank you for shedding your blood. In your name, let's partake together. Thank you, Jesus.